the free for all roundtable round one on round one, Pavan Brach is here, serial entrepreneur in marketing, tech, and real estate development, and a part-time farmer. Matt Gurney, journalist, co-founder of the online magazine called The Line. And Tamara Cherry is here from Pickup Communications, also a veteran broadcaster. Good morning to you all, and hard to know where to start because it's a, a whole menu of interesting topics today, um, including, though, this story, which at the very beginning of our show we were leading with, we've moved on to the healthcare story, but we're still covering it. A U of T student suing Toronto Police Service for $1.6 million. And the quick story is, I'll start with Tamara Cherry on this one, but the quick story is he was misidentified as a guy that the cops were looking for. One thing led to another, and he ends up face down on the pavement getting tased. They go into his bag, which his lawyer also says they had no business doing, found his ID, realized they had the wrong guy and said, sorry about that. And he says, that's not good enough. Tamara? I hate weighing in on things where we only know one side. John, clearly this this young man doesn't appear to have done anything wrong. I doubt he did anything wrong, but we also don't know what police were investigating. So let's say, for instance, that something very violent had just happened and they were looking for the suspect and trying to prevent another violent incident from happening. And it was an unfortunate thing that this young man matched the description. I th- I get frustrated in the world and, and in journalism sometimes these days when people demand uh, either, and, and forgive my choice of words here, black or white. There's no room for shades of gray. There's no room for, you know, any sort of, thoughtful discourse. I I am saddened for this young man that this happened to him, but I also am not going to bring out the torches and hunt down these officers when we don't even know what they were investigating or any of the circumstances that led to this. Matt Gurney, it is, that is worth noting. We haven't seen the uh, statement of claim for the police officers yet. And maybe it's not that we have to judge this particular situation. It just seems to happen more frequently that if you're a person of color, you get misidentified as a suspect and somehow, can I talk with you for a moment, turns into you face down on the pavement. Yeah, no, and I, I think all of us in our in our minds can imagine exactly how that happens. And this is me being charitable to both sides, because as Tamara says, we don't actually know the details of what happened. We haven't heard, as you said, John, the, the police response to this. But imagine a situation where you have a police officer who genuine, genuinely believes he has the right guy, and perhaps this person is violent or wanted for something very seriously. And then on the other hand, you have an innocent person who genuinely knows that they're innocent, and probably suspects that this is uh, an issue of racial profiling. You can see how this goes badly here. To me, I think Tamara has already identified one of the missing pieces, which is what were the police investigating? The other missing pieces, given on what the police officers thought they were doing, and obviously they were wrong, but was the force used in this situation uh, appropriate? And like you know, if they had a mistaken identity case where this guy had outstanding parking tickets, probably not. If the mistaken identity was someone they believed was armed and dangerous, that's possibly different here. So right now we're in a bit of an information vacuum. But I will say this, John, to your point about hearing so many of these cases, Tamara and I, I think, are both being responsible journalists to the extent that we're waiting for more information. Just as a guy who lives in the city, it is getting harder to give the police the benefit of the doubt when you have so many situations like this. So I am going to give them a chance to respond, but I understand the frustration in the community. 
Well, Pavan, one of the things that the claimant says in this case informs the story, and that is as soon as the cops drew close, he started getting nervous because he was mind, you know, bearing in mind all of the negative outcomes of previous encounters of other people of color. So it sort of folds in on itself. And then all of a sudden the police are asking you, why are you so jittery if you're innocent? And next thing you know, you're having a fight. Yeah, we've got this classic problem that's you know, you know, entrenched in the community where they where they don't often trust uh, the police, and it's frankly, you know, if you look at what's going on in the schools, it's kind of going the opposite direction now. They're they're, they're resisting having police come into schools and and attempt to create relationships with students and uh, to try and break down these kinds of barriers that exist, and it's really it's really going the wrong way. And on the flip, you know, so and I, and and like like both have you know well said. We'll wait to see the facts here, but, you know, we certainly have to uh, kind of break this impasse because it's critical. We've got a lot of people that are committing serious crimes who are getting away, uh, let off just because they weren't approached in the right way. And that's a problem, too. Can, can we can I just add yeah. one quick thing uh, based on what Pavan just said about the schools? I would just point out that it's politicians that had a problem with um, police officers being in schools and maybe a small sector yeah. of the population. It's always the loud minority. I would say that teachers, students, parents were very upset when the school resource officer program was ended because that was a really awesome program that was doing a lot to repair and to build relationships in the community. Yeah, yeah no, it's a I'm huge mistake. Fully Sorry. supportive of that. I always thought it would could it, over the years lead to such a better relationship between police and uh, the community, and instead we pulled them out because a couple of people were squawking. Uh, let me ask you about the statue of Sir John A. Macdonald outside of Queen's Park. I used to think that our friend Joe Warmington was just being kind of panicky, but now I suspect he's right. They covered it with a shroud after it was vandalized. They you know, covered it with wood hoarding. I think it's just going to disappear. Pavan, are we necessarily impoverished? It's not like he doesn't have a few other statues. <laughs> There's lots of statues available. I don't know. I, I like the disclaimer idea that Scott Reed put out earlier this morning. Um, it, we just have to say, listen, almost certainly whatever we're doing today is going to be condemned down the road. I mean, you're probably going to say, who the hell was the guy that decided that uh, we were going to pump our sewage uh, from the city into the same place where we take our drinking water? Uh, and in 100 years from now, I think they're going to be laughing at, at our intelligence and our principles, et cetera. So clearly these guys did things it, at the time that were were accepted. It's under it's completely understood that that was wrong. But I, it's just we're just going to spend our entire life revising history and trying to deal with it rather than face the problems that are in front of us. Although I don't know that we have a statue of the guy who came up with our wastewater system. But, <laughs> yes. Matt Gurney, I realize this is becoming a bit of a hoary debate, you know, what to do about Sir John A. Macdonald. But in this case, there is one statue that has been there for a good long time, and I suspect it's going to disappear, and everyone's going to go, what, what happened? No, I think what's going to happen is it's going to disappear on a period of like geologic time because sediment will gradually accumulate and future civilizations will build new cities atop the old city of Toronto and the statue will still be in a box <laughs> because no politician wants to make a decision. Like when you put something in a protective crate, which is basically the status quo, the politicians need to know better. What they are doing is they are setting up a situation either for them or some future successor of theirs where the easiest choice is not making any decision. 
situation. No one wants to offend the people who will fanatically uh, come to uh, Sir John A. Macdonald's defense. No one wants to offend those who would criticize him and his historical record. So the statue will stay in the same box until thousands of years from now. Future historians and archaeologists discover it and wonder what it was so magical <laughs> about this religious figure that we had to hide him from the view of the worshippers. <laughs> and somebody will crawl toward it and say, you blew it up! You blew it up! Damn you all the hell. <laughs> okay, listen, I want to keep moving because there's a bunch of stuff on the agenda this morning. And this is happening out your way, Tamara. There is a youth center for activities, everything from skateboarding to wall climbing. And the thing is, it is run by a worship group. And so when they were asked, uh, the young people wanted to stage an evening of same-sex people in same-sex relationships, and the group said no. And I would say normally that you're entitled to that kind of religious freedom up until you receive public money. Exactly. I mean, the government just should not be giving funding to openly exclusionary organizations. Full stop. The the, the shame of this is that this this place actually did a lot of good. Um, there was a lot of people that came came into there from the streets of Winnipeg. Um, there were a lot of LGBTQ plus youth who met each other that way, which is the irony in all of this, because then when they wanted to actually talk about, um, you know, some of these policies, they were just being grilled on their on their sexual orientation or sexual or, or gender identity. Um, so I, I, I think just full stop, if, if an organization is open, openly exclusionary in its policies, um, don't give them our money. Just don't. Yeah, Pavan, the, the problem here, I guess, would be everybody loves the idea of a community center and there's an organization willing to pay for part of it and run it. So the government thinks, well, it's a win-win up until that organization starts imposing some sense of morality. Yeah, no, I, the, you know, $1.8 million was given to this organization from three levels of government over the last five years. So, I mean, why is it just not a simple form that's filled out that says, listen, if you're getting money, you have to abide by these principles of of, uh, of the Charter Rights. And that's, mm -hmm. it's pretty simple from there, but we don't want to lose, absolutely, we don't want to lose the impact that these folks can make in the community to help us. So, yeah, it's, a, it's, a, it's and, and probably maybe the federal government needs to help or the governments need to help these organizations kind of work through these challenges because it's a big change for some of them and uh, and support them uh, as as they kind of continue to do the good work that they're doing. Matt Gurney, we lost over the weekend and certainly to me it was very, very unexpected. I don't know what the circumstances were, but David Onley, who was a broadcaster, actually started out right here at CFRB, became the lieutenant governor in the last chapter of his working career, um, passed away at the age of 72 on Saturday. And honestly, I don't think I can think of a finer man. No, 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 me neither. Um, I I was not uh, super close with David, but I had known him a long time. I had known him since I was a kid back in his city TV days when he was, you know, a, a breaking ground as someone who had a physical disability, who was on air in a live news role and was not hiding the, the disability. And then in later years, I got to know him better. Um, and, you know, he was passionate about the news. He was passionate about Ontario. So we talked 
talked a lot about our mutual interest there. But in recent years, we also just talked about hockey because he was always uh, enjoying videos or pictures of my yes, son, who's a little fanatic little hockey player that I'll put up. And he said it reminded him of his own sons growing up, and he really enjoyed that. That was kind of the uh, the opening for uh, a friendship between him and I. He was incredibly gentle and decent, and I, I don't know what happened either, John. I, I spoke to him not that long ago, but I was shocked to hear this on Saturday. The, it's In our line of work, when something like this happens, we always say, oh, it's a terrible loss. This is a terrible loss that I think a lot of people in our line of work are actually really feeling inside. It's We're not faking it this time. This, is, this was a hard hit on Saturday. Uh, listen, one last topic and only 60 seconds on the clock, but Tamara, I'm wondering if the bloom is off for Tesla. They are offering such substantial discounts because they're not selling anymore. I have a feeling it's because it used to be a really cool brand and Elon Musk has turned out to be a bit of a jerk. Yeah, I, I think that you're probably right in that. But I would also say, if you're buying a new car, you shouldn't be buying it for the re- resale value. I know the Tesla owners got used to that, but come on, as soon as you drive it off a lot, you're always going to lose money. This is true, and we have to call it there. Thank you all, Matt Gurney, Pavan Brach, and Tamara Cherry. Catch the roundtable, round one at 745, round two at 845. Weekday mornings on More in the Morning. News Talk 1010 Toronto.